Welcome, everyone. Today, I have got a very special guest with me. Her name is Angela Peacock. I call her Angie. And a bit of her bio. Now, Angie used to uh, serve in the U.S. Army for seven years as a communication specialist one with one deployment to Iraq. After medical retirement from the military and a long period of recovery, she earned her bachelor's in science in psychology and master's in social work from the University of Washington in St. Louis. A story of over-medication after trauma appeared in the new cell, medicating normal, where she engaged over 180 audiences during community screenings and uh, during panel discussions that encourage dialogue about our mental health industry, informed consent, psychiatric drug use, and withdrawal. She is presently a holistic health coach and psychiatric drug withdrawal consultant. And when I first, I mean, I knew about Angie, but she helped us um, medicating. She helped us screen medicating normal when we um, when we did the um, online mental wealth mental wealth summit last year back in back in November 2021. So I'm delighted to have her as a guest. So Andy, welcome. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> well, it's very early, isn't it? It's very early where you are, and we, I apologize for when you are so early. Hey, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. It's okay. <laughs> so, and and you live a very fancy life, like fancy for me. So, do you want to tell people where you live? Sure. You know, what, what what you know where you are at the moment? Sure. I when uh, Medicaid Normal was released. We were doing a lot of travel, and I was not a fan of airplane travel. And I said, what if I get an RV and I just travel around the country and show the film while I'm driving around? And the filmmakers thought that was a great idea. So I sold 90% of my things, and I moved into an RV, and I was traveling with the film. But then the pandemic happened, and it ruined everything. So I was like, well, I'm not going to go home. This is fun. This was also part of my healing journey a little bit. So I live in an RV, and I travel, and I work from Zoom, mobily in the van and then I go out and do things like hiking and I'm in nature a lot. And so right now I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, yeah. And how long are you going to stay there for? Just a couple couple more days and then I'm going to go south to Las, what is it called? I'm sorry, Lake Havasu, Arizona. So it's getting to be cold here. So you just slowly move south where it's warm. <laughs> I was about to ask you, like, how do you decide where you're going to go next? It's, well, it's always <laughs> different. Like sometimes there's uh, an event so I really wanted to go to Lake Havasu. There's an event coming up. And then other times I literally just look at the map like where what's around here? And it's sort of intuitive, you know, like hmm, I've never been to Vegas. I'm not really a gambler, but let's go see what that's about. <laughs> you know, <laughs> more random. That's beautiful. I mean, that's clear adventure, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, like you said, this this has been part of my healing journey and we'll, we'll come back to this. Let's let's get started with like people finding out a bit more about your journey so far. Like and and some people who might have seen the medicating normal obviously with being familiar with your journey, but others who haven't, they won't. So can you tell us a bit about your background and how, you know, how you ended up where you are at the moment? Sure. So basically what happened was I was in the in the military. I had experienced a sexual assault and then two years later I was in Iraq. So it was tons of trauma, like pretty, pretty in succession. 
But while you're in Iraq, it's like happening every day, you know, um, being shot at. I got I got really ill from um, I'm not even sure what anymore, but it was probably a combination of like environmental. We had tons of vaccines. We were given antibiotics for pre-malarial, anti-malarial. So it was just like too much toxins were hitting my body at that at that time. And then food and water wasn't really good. So while I was in Iraq, I thought either I'm going to die from being shot at or I'm going to die from this mysterious illness that I've acquired. So that's where my like panic started. And I just thought I'm going to die. I'm not getting out of Iraq. I'm never going to see my family again. Um, but it felt very physical because I, I was down to like 100 pounds. You could see all my bones and my chin and my cheekbones. I was emaciated. Um, and then after six months of living like that and working and being told, you know, I couldn't leave. I was mission essential. I was finally medically evacuated out and I was sent back to Germany. And the day after I get home to Germany, our unit did get hit by an IED, uh, a bomb on the side of the road. And so one of my uh, soldiers came back injured. So there was another trauma. And that was the day when I was in his hospital room. He was in recovery and he was, you know, staples all the way from his chin to his um, his groin area. And he told me what happened. And I just I couldn't contain it anymore. It was like just so much trauma in this. And I was only 23 at the time. I just couldn't hold it, you know. So I I feel like that was the worst mistake I ever made. But I saw the sign for psychiatry in the hallway. And I that's what I was taught to do. Like when you need help, you go straight to psychiatry. And that led to 13 years of meditation. I was prescribed over 45 different drugs. Um, like 30 of them were psychiatric drugs and the other ones were like for the side effects. And all the while... Um, I really did everything they told me to do. I I was like, I want to heal. I want to feel better. Um, I'll try this therapy or I'll try this medication, you know. But toward the end, I just got so disillusioned with the process. I thought, you know, I'm doing everything they're telling me to do. Why am I not getting better? I'm going to all the therapists. You know, nobody ever mentioned, like, maybe it's your meditation that's making you feel so terrible. <laughs> um, I never, that that never even crossed my mind. Deep down, I just thought, I want to know who I am, like underneath the medication. What is my baseline? Who am I? I don't even know who I am. So I um, slowly tapered off some things. Some things were cold turkey, switched. You know, it, it took me about 10 years to, to untangle the polypharmacy that I was experiencing. And then the last drug that I tapered was a benzodiazepine. That almost killed me. Um, so long story short, I had the horrific withdrawal. I didn't even know that existed. I probably wouldn't have believed had I not experienced it. Uh, the filmmakers from Medicaid Normal followed me during that healing process. And a few other people, uh, they share our stories in the film. And then I helped with the film. And now I help people who are coming off of psychiatric drugs, who've made that decision, just like me, like, I want to know who I am. And and they have no support from medical from family members, you know, it's very stigmatized to say, I want to come off my medication. But um, that's what I do now. And I watch healing every day. So I enjoy it. But it's a whole lot of suffering to to do to do what we do. Yeah. Thank you. Indy. And I know you said this like in maybe a minute or two, but like your suffering must have been like over those, those 10 years, it must have been like enormous. I don't know how you, you know, how you survived. Do you even consider like do the better theory you know how you survive for those 10 years i mean i look back and i have huge gaps in my memory like i don't even know what i did i have no like no concept of what was happening 
I was on disability for 18 years. Um, I remember just like reading lots of books, trying to help myself. Like I read 300 books at one point. Like, what's wrong with me? I got to find the answer. You know, um, I I don't even know. Like, I just I sat on I, I like detached from all my friends. I lost my marriage. I did not have relationships with my family. I literally was like in my house on the couch. Like, that's my life for 13 years. That's what I was doing. Um, later in later years, I went back to school and I had to go part time because it couldn't even handle the stress, you know, and now I see it as the, the medication was disabling me. It wasn't me, it, which is really hard to un- understand once you're on the other side of it, you know? Yeah. yeah and how many medications were you on at any, any particular time? Did you say 13 or medication at one time? 18. 18 was at the height. Yeah. Well, how long? Oh, like probably two, two, three years at the worst. And it, and it was actually a civilian psychiatrist that did it. But then uh, I went back to the VA system, which is the Veterans Administration, and they basically co-signed it. They didn't say anything was wrong with that. I think they even added, like, she had me on 16 and they added a few more. So a lot of people always say like, oh, well, that's the veteran. No, it was civilian and veterans. And they just... And so it to me, I always say, like, it took away my ability to know there was anything wrong with that. Like, I didn't even think. I didn't even to me, that was just my six, you know, my sophisticated cocktail. Like, this is what I need to be OK. And just so um, messes with you. So, you know, you don't even understand what's happening. Yeah. And what was the diagnosis? You find me uh, post-traumatic stress was the first one. And then it was uh, agoraphobia, panic disorder, major depression. And then at the end, like as I got down to the final taper, they tried to add agitated depression with now I know it was anesthesia. And they um, tried to add generalized anxiety disorder because I was like, my brain was just worrying about everything, like irrational, intrusive thoughts, you know, but it was a, an effect of withdrawing from a benzo. So mm-hmm. I... Originally, yeah, I believe I had post-traumatic stress. How could I not? But I look back and like, that was a normal reaction to war. What do you want me to be like stoic and not have it affect me and just feel like, let's go, let's go to the bar, guys. No, I was in a war zone. Of course, you're going to react and you're going to be scared and not adjust. Well, I think I remember it's in my medical records where I said, it's, it says patient reports. She doesn't, um, she's having a hard time readjusting to Germany. Of course, I uh, I went from Iraq to Germany in like an hour. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to be normal when you leave a leave a war zone. Really, really. But you know, what's the evidence for eating? No matter those diagnoses, what's the evidence for eating drugs at one time keep adding more and more to the PTSD that you experienced? Well, I see it now as like prescription prescription cascade. You know, I was on like four drugs: antidepressant. Um, sleep medication, a beta blocker, and uh, anti-anxiety medication. And then when that's, that that um, did not work, then it was, let's add this, let's add that. You know what I mean? It just it just snowballed into this thing. And then I remember that psychiatrist in particular, she was actually my dad's psychiatrist. And so I trusted her. Um, and then, because my dad has the bipolar diagnosis, and then um, she fired me. She said I was treatment resistant. And looking back, I was like, I'm doing everything that you tell me to do. Like, how is that my fault that I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not, um, your treatment isn't working on me. 
you know, so then I, that's when I went back to the VA system at that point. So compared to that time, though, you were in, this, in a much better place yeah. and you are helping others. But back then, would you have even thought this as a possibility of helping others and being on the other side? No way. And I, I, even in my mind, I didn't think, I completely bought the narrative that I was mentally ill, like hook and sinker. I thought there, you know, there's messages, you know, when you take a pill every day, it tells you something about yourself, whether you explicitly, you know, or not. But I thought I was broken. I'm going to need help for the rest of my life. I'm going to need on medication for the rest of my life. They even told me, like, you won't finish school. I had to fight to go back to school. Like, there was all kinds of, you know, nobody believed in me. I just felt like this, like, suffering thing that was, like, wandering around asking for help. But everywhere I asked, it, like, was never working. So then that made me feel worse. Like, I'm never going to get better because none of this stuff works for me. What, what's, what's even more wrong with me that doesn't work? You know, I see all these people doing all these therapies and then they get their life back. I'm not getting my life back. What is wrong with me? Uh, so, no. And I did never even have it in my mind. Like, I'm going to get off my medication. That was not even that. It just happened. It wasn't planned or anything. Um, and it very much. Uh, I mean, toward the end, the last few years, I was like, I want to get off. But I didn't I didn't know how I didn't have a date. You know, I was just slowly tapering down, listening to the doctor. He was doing it wrong. Now I know it was too fast. And then my nervous system just freaked out. Um, but yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. And then even when I was off everything, it was scary. Uh, Roddy, it was scary. Like I, I was on a beta blocker last. Like that was the last pill I took. And I was terrified to just let that go. Like I've taken medication for 13 years. And like tomorrow I'm going to wake up and not have to take it. Just that last pill was like hard. And I think the way it happened was I forgot to take the last dose that I planned on taking. And I was like, okay, well, you're off. And I mean, it's both freedom and it's terrifying at the same time, you know, because you just, you think that there's something wrong. And then if you don't have that, then what? But then in the withdrawal experience, you think, um, I mean, my withdrawal was so horrific. I mean, I lost the ability to speak. I couldn't stand up to shower for two and a half years. I was so dizzy. Um, I had like, just, I don't even want to get into it. It's kind of traumatic, you know, <laughs> but it was bad, it was really bad. Okay. And, um, and then, and then I came to the realization, oh my God, first I thought I really am mentally ill, you know, and that I need medication really bad. And then my friend was like, if you go to the hospital, they're going to put you back on. Is that what you want? And I was like, no, because I just felt so sick. I was like, if you put a medication on top of what I'm feeling now, I'm really never going to come back. It was just that bad, you know? So then it was the realization, wait a minute, um, there's no medication to help you, you know? And then I was reading a bunch of books like Joanna Moncrief, James Davies, Bob Whitaker, um, Peter Gercha. I was trying to figure out what is happening to me, you know? And somehow I found all of them and I couldn't read at the time, but I was listening to audio on YouTube and stuff. And then I was, and then I came to the realization, wait a minute, I might not have ever been mentally ill. I had a, a normal reaction to trauma. So why did you just waste 13 years taking medication and chasing some imaginary healing thing that you didn't even need? That's why it didn't work. You didn't need that. But then that's terrifying. Like, I just wasted half of my adult life, you know, chasing a ghost. And 
So now I'm not mentally ill. I'm not on my medication. The medication harmed me and there's nowhere to run. And here you are with yourself and your suffering. And what are you going to do? And that is very terrifying, you know, and that's kind of why I do this work now is because I want to show people like it is possible. It's going to be hell. And you're not going to have any support and people are not, your doctor won't believe you how bad your symptoms are. Um, Your family will probably disown you. You might get divorced. Like that's how bad it it is for some people. Um, But like, here you are. And it, it will pull on a strength that you have never used before and you, but it does end. Like the suffering part does end and you do get your life back. And then you get to really like, that's where I'm at now is like, I get to design the kind of life I want. I don't have to. I don't have, like, I'm almost like anti-something. Like, I don't want anybody telling me there's something wrong with me. I don't want any kind of reinforcement around your feelings are wrong or your personality is this or that. I don't want to hear any messages like that. I need to know who I am on my own terms, you know? Oh, wow. (laughs) So for anyone listening, you know, I guess if... You have never come across anyone suffering before from withdrawals or having so many, you know, so many medications and tapering off. This story might like shock you because I know that when I first came across stories to prescribe harm, I was like, can't be true. Really? Can't be true. And the more I have looked into it, the more I've heard people's stories. I'm like, oh my goodness. And you know, sometimes it's happening in front of us, but we are thinking, well, maybe the diagnosis is something different or maybe, you know, they need more medications or review medication. And so once, but once you start to see, you can't pretend you have not seen. And I guess this is why, I guess part of why we are having this conversation. And I guess I'm so lucky that you know, back in, I think, 2016, 2017, I came across all the critical work and then, you know, and the prescribed harm coming to voices. And then I started looking into it. And now I can't pretend I haven't seen it. And yeah. I can't pretend I don't even know that that's happening. Yes. Yeah. So, so thank you. Thank you for sharing this. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes, you know, I sit with people all week for, you know, hours and hours and hours. And when I'm sitting here, I think to myself, if you don't believe this, come sit with me. Just hear these people's stories, you know, and it's not even that, you know, like a bunch of people just want to come off their meds. That's not what's going on here. Like at a certain point, they they don't feel good. They get sick and the side effects are so bad. They don't want they don't want to not come off their meds. They want them to work, obviously, but then it's like they run out of options and it's the only option they have. But uh, yeah, it's I mean, people are the demand is so high. It's just like this is real. You could just sit and listen to their, sto- their, their stories and they're all very similar, you know? Yeah. So tell me who comes to you and what kind of support do you provide? Yeah. So usually, well, I always ask, like, how did you find me? And they either say uh, your YouTube channel, because on my on my YouTube channel, I recorded my healing journey. So every six months I would do a video and say, like, this is how I'm fingering. These are my symptoms. You know, it was scary. And sometimes you I look more normal than I actually felt, which is kind of deceiving. But um, so usually they say I find you on YouTube or I saw a video on Facebook or I saw medicating normal or I followed, you know, they fo- usually follow me on social media somewhere. And then um, usually the stories are, I would say most of my people are like middle-aged white women. They were put on, you know, in college because they had a stressful job or they were away from home or they were on birth control and then an antidepressant. And then usually their doctor just leaves them on. There was never a question about like, when do I, how long do I take this? When do I come off? 
And then, you know, 20, 30 years later, they're like, hmm, I don't feel good. I'm having this, you know, these weird symptoms. Maybe they have pain or headaches all the time or muscle aches. Something happens. So then they start chasing what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? They go to all the doctors, they get all the testing and there's, they don't find anything wrong. So then somewhere along the way, they think, oh my gosh, I think it's the medication I'm taking because what else could it be? And then um, they'll want to come off and they might ask their doctor, how do I get off of this? And they, the doctor will usually go too fast. And then they Google it like Lexapro withdrawal or Effexor withdrawal or Zoloft withdrawal. And then they go, oh my God, I have to come off this slower. And then they somehow find me to support them while they do that. So usually they already know how to taper. Um, their doctor's prescribing the drug and I'm just there to say, yes, those are normal symptoms. You know, did you get medically checked out? If it's nothing else, it's got to be a withdrawal symptom. Yes, I had that symptom. Um, this is, these are the symptoms I see usually in people. We just really need reassurance to know that like, I'm not crazy. I am in withdrawal. This will end. I will get my life back. Um, things like that. Also, people just need help making decisions, which is like the hardest part because I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not a psychiatrist, you know, a doctor. But and so I never I never make a decision for anyone. But I just ask them questions like, OK, if you taper this one first, what are the risks and benefits of that decision? And then like if you taper this one first, what are the risks and benefits? So I'm just asking them a series of questions, but they always know what to do. And it's just they need they need to hear themselves and they need to talk through the process. and then. You know, I'll say, like, what does your intuition tell you to do? Because that's what this is about. You have to listen to your body. And they always know. So I'm just there to be like, I know so much about withdrawal. And just to, like, bounce them information back to them. And then they make the decision what to do. Yeah. How many inquiries do you get? In oh, my God. Week? Oh, I saw 38 people last week. Really? 38 last week. I think I saw, like, 8 or 10 yesterday. It's usually between 6 Six to 10 a day. I usually don't like to see that many, but lately I've been kind of busy. You know, and some people need like acute withdrawal support. They were cold turkeyed for one reason or another, um, and they need somebody to help them. People are struggling with suicidal thoughts like you wouldn't believe, but it's not, you know, a major depression thing. It's from the the way that the medication just reacts with, with the body at a certain point. It's just like suicidal thoughts they can't control. They need somebody to talk to them about that's had them and that they went away. They didn't act on them. And so I'm, I'm so comfortable talking openly about suicide without calling 911 on them. You know, they don't have anybody safe to talk to. Um, and then there's also like people that are in protracted withdrawal. They've been having symptoms for two or three years, you know, and they are trying to go back to work. But like they still have symptoms. And are you sure this is going to go away, Angie? I'm like, yeah, most of that goes away, you know. But it's it, it, it's really hard after you're off. Usually people don't need a full hour. You know, it's uh, it's just kind of quick. Like, I have a couple questions. What do you think about this? What, you know, what about this symptom? What about that? They just need a little bit of reassurance. So it's kind of like just a little booster shot. Like, yes, keep going. You're, you're on the right track. That's really good. You know, report how you, what are things that are happening that are good for you. Um, They just want to check in because the problem is like the this cohort of people that have difficulty coming off meds, they don't have anybody in their life that understands it, that believes them, that has been through it. And sometimes you just need somebody to say, like, yes, I went through it. It's real. You're not crazy. You're, you've been medically checked out. There's nothing else wrong with you. Just keep going. Just keep going. Keep going. You know, um, 
And usually when I ask people, like, why are you doing this? Like, I need to know why. Why Why do you want to come off psychiatric drugs? Because you need to remember that when you're re- when it's a hard time. They always say, like, I'm just curious. I just want to know. I just, I have to. And, and so the medical the medical establishment doesn't like leave room for that. It's like you need to stay on your medication or add some more because this one's not working or it's a lack of insight or something. There's no room for like, I just want to know who I am. I just I just have to listen to my intuition. Something is telling me I need to get off. And so they make that decision and they and they take that hard road with no support. Yeah. And I also know of people who have been like seeking help desperately to come up medication and the doctor say no. And so they just decide to stop it themselves and they do it the fast way. I have seen people becoming very, very unwell. Don't ever, ever, ever cold turkey anything ever, ever. And uh, tapering off is a, is a long process. Like I said, it took me 10 years to get off of everything. It is not an overnight thing. It is not um, something to be done like willy nilly. You Just as we would say you need informed consent when you go on a medication, you need informed consent when you're coming off. So I would... I would tell the first step I tell everybody to do is go read the FDA pamphlet. So you can find your FDA pamphlet by just searching the name of the drug and then put FDA insert and read the whole thing. I want you to read the whole thing. And then um, step two is usually um, read all you can about tapering or listen to stories of tapering. It's sometimes they're scary. They're scary stories. Um, but I, I think people need to know that like it's not an easy process. And you have to taper slow in most cases. You know, sometimes people taper a little faster at the beginning. Um, do You know, it's hyperbolic taper from Mark Horowitz. There's a paper about you can taper fast usually at the beginning because we're usually overdosed with medication. Um, but it's like later you have to slow down. So I would tell the person, like, read as much as you can about how, like, the whole process and find somebody some information that you can really trust, like there's Surviving Antidepressants, there's Inner Compass Initiative, the Withdrawal Project, um, there's Will Hall's Harm Reduction Guide to Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal. Read some of these like very wise uh, things. And then the next step would be to ask your provider, be careful like how you ask, because if you say, I Googled this and this is what it said, usually they're not receptive. So I would just ask them like, what do you know about Zoloft withdrawal? Like, what can I expect? if I want to come off of this or how fast can I come off of this drug? And if they say like you can be off in two weeks or a month, you might not trust them. If they say six months and you might experience symptoms, then you usually can trust that person, you know. But I've seen where a lot of doctors, the minute you mention withdrawal, they cut you off like immediately. If But the, they would have left you on for your whole life, you know. So it doesn't even make sense to me. Like they're in such a hurry to cut you off, but they would have left you on and not touch the medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's tricky. But you need like diet needs to be changed. You need to make sure you have support. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have to have like coping skills. Like through this process, I've learned. Oh my god, I should have done all the stuff that was suggested to me, but now I have to. Like it's not a you know if I I'm gonna have panic, I'm gonna have anxiety. What am I gonna do? Uh, what are these things in place that I have to do now to cope with my feelings? Because you're, the withdrawal effects are definitely going to provoke depression, anxiety that's going to look like mental illness um, or whatever. Uh, but like you're going to have to cope with that without running for a new prescription. So what are you going to do when times get hard? So it, it's a lot of planning and careful, you know, 
review of what you're going to do. I mean, I have people all the time that are on like three drugs and they, I, I thank God for husbands and wives because their spouse will come sit with them because they're so cognitively impaired. They can't even understand what tapering means. Like they don't understand the math. Like I can't think, Angie, my my mind is like gone. That's why I'm coming off of this, um, which is a physical symptom. It's not really, you know, somebody could say that's depression, maybe. But like, prove it to me, you know, prove me that's depression. The person needs a medication. I doubt it. But um, it's it's a lot of careful thought and figuring out the math and which drug you're going to taper first. And what are you going to do when symptoms get hard? One thing about trauma, because in the clearly how you started on this path is because of trauma. And also what people are going through when they are going through withdrawal and everything is trauma. But I want you to say something about what, you know, what do you think they could have given in terms of trauma-informed care? Because that's a, that's a buzzword now, you know, trauma-informed care. But if someone were to have delivered trauma-informed care to you when you really needed it, what might that have looked like for you? Like that you would have really appreciated looking back. Yeah, I think when I came back from the war, I needed like a month off. Like I needed rest and really good food. And I needed somebody to say, you know, what you went through was really hard and you are not going to feel good for a little while. And your nervous system has to adjust back to, you know, normal life. And it's going to be rocky and you're not going to feel great and you're going to be scared of things. But all of that is normal. That is your nerve, you know, those symptoms keep you alive at a war zone. But then when you fly home, it's not appropriate, they would say, you know. So, um, it's just like an adjustment period for your nervous system to calm down. And, you know, me being in a war, you know, sometimes people say like, oh, you really had trauma. Okay, well, domestic violence, rape, people bullying you at work, you know, racism, all these things are trauma. So it's just like, this was my war, but everybody has their own, you know, grieving a loved one that died. Your nervous system does not like that. When I say nervous system, I just mean like, you know, you get fidgety, you're nervous, you're, you have anxiety in public. You know, you isolate a little bit. There's these things happen to our bodies, too. It's not just like a cognitive thing. Um, so I think I just needed time to like rest and decompress and maybe some unconditional love and someone checking on me and cookies and good meals. You know, that was it. I didn't have to spend 13 years on medication and and then uh, almost die coming off of them. Angie, I just wanted to acknowledge the, the journey you have been through. For what you have done, you know, in, in terms of your healing journey, sharing this very publicly, but also supporting people all these seven years and now formally doing it. Yeah, thank you so much. I've been doing all these screenings for Medicaid Normal um, over those three years. And it was it was hard. Like, it was hard to... There was There was times when I was literally on a panel with a psychiatrist who didn't quite believe this. And they would try to diagnose me on the panel discussion. Yeah. Wow. And I would be completely triggered, like, oh, my God, I can't even sit here, you know. But I always I always held it in mind, like, somebody in the audience needs to hear this information or somebody needs to know this is possible. Or um, I'm here to, to show that this is happening. And, like, so I, I did see, like, this is not, maybe I, I don't ever want to say, like, it happened for a reason because it should have never happened. It shouldn't have never happened. Okay. But I'm glad it happened to me. And because I don't just sit and take things, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely like, I talk about it as much as I can. When people see me at the dog park or the grocery store and they ask me what I do, I say, I support people who have made the decision to come off psychiatric drugs. And they're like, 
that's a thing. Like, oh, my sister needs help or my my cousin tried to do that. I mean, it's widespread like you wouldn't believe it. We just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So like my goal is like to talk about it the way that people talk about other things. And, um, you know, I've seen it change like in media. I'm I, There's so many people working on this issue and I'm so glad that everybody's been, you know, widespread. But it seems to be changing in the last few years compared to when I came off, like it was unheard of in the media. So, yeah, there needs to be more awareness, more training, more uh, yeah. education yeah. from all levels, all levels. Absolutely. And there is good news because there is this World Keeping Day coming up for the fourth, I think, fourth, fifth, sixth of November. And this is about starting to talk about tapering and and raising awareness. And I say um, people, like you said, absolutely, we need to talk more about that because people are saying we need to talk about mental health, but we also need to talk about uh, some of the struggles of coming up medication and how to taper safely. Thank you, Angie. It's been really lovely to talk to you and to hear what you have been up to and you're very inspirational. Thank you. Thank you again. for having me. Thank you.